First Samuel 3, 1 through 4, 1a. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. And you called me. My, my son, Eli said, Here I am. Wait, whoa, whoa. Where am I? <laughs> okay. Uh, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as the prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God of light, you say in your scripture that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but that your word lasts forever. As we come from different places, different struggles, different victories, 
yet all of us are more of a mess than we care to admit. May you shine your light through these words, the words from the book of 1 Samuel and the words that come out of my mouth, that what we hear may be something of life, something that grows, and something that bears fruit. May we who are more broken than we care to admit be surrounded by the knowledge that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. And we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Heading into a week that holds Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Inauguration Day, many of you come troubled. You're holding things. You're processing a crowd of tens of thousands of people. Trump supporters storming the Capitol in a violent takeover of the building. You're processing the loss of life. You're processing the denial of responsibility. You're processing talk of National Guard and impeachment. You come with that trouble. And it's in the air. It's all around us. It's functioning also to create a ricochet, a ricochet and a, um, a whole bunch of extra trouble in relationships, in families and friendships. You might look at these events and the events of January 6th and you say, really, in America? Yes, really, in America. History warns you from being naive or surprised by these events. Many of you have dug into the history of things after the murder of George Floyd. Many of you at City Life, I know, because I've talked to you, have, have dived further into our history, our dark history. And so you aren't, wouldn't be surprised to know that it's easy to find examples throughout our nation's history before the Civil War, after the Civil War, north of the Mason-Dixon line, south of the Mason-Dixon line, examples of untruths getting spread, a mob forming around those untruths, and institutions and people attacked in mob violence, especially those who stood in the way of the white mob's ideals. Usually it is black individuals and families in our history whose blood was spilled for the mob's sense of white grievance. And accountability is always scarce. Rarely are there convictions in these kinds of events in our history. I'm just, I'm not, you know, you might say, wow, these are intense words. They're just, it's just history. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> there's no commentary here. This is just history. And it would be easier to ignore this history and just, and we often do, um, but our own history reveals us to be naive if we are surprised by January 6th and its fallout. But history is not the only thing that warns us um, to be ready for this. Our theology also encourages us not to be naive about what's happening in our world. We've got the theology of total depravity. 
um, which sounds extreme and often gets misinterpreted as just meaning, oh, everything's bad and we just have to look at ourselves as completely awful. No, that's not what total depravity means. Total depravity is a very biblically supported doctrine that basically means we are unable to save ourselves and that the disease of human sin has spread into every corner of this creation and of every human heart so that while the beauty of God's good creation and God's justice still shine forth, it's all twisted and spoiled and corrupted in terms of what it could be in our world, in our hearts. They desperately need intervention. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so history tells us not to be naive. The Bible and our theology invite us not to be naive or surprised by things because theology shows us that we should expect to find sin in the public sector and the private sector. We should expect sin in our government leaders and in our church leaders. We should expect sin in the CEO and the Amish farmer, in the car thief and in the volunteer at Loaves and Fishes. We should expect sin in former President Barack Obama, President-elect Joe Biden, current President Donald J. Trump. History and theology invite us away from naivete. So where do we look for hope? When systems seem flawed, because leaders are flawed and their followers become rioters who are flawed and then they show our institutions to be flawed and more fragile than we ever thought they were. Well, we can rewind. We can go back to a time of great national fragility in a place called, wait for it, not the United States of America, but Israel. The background on our story of 1 Samuel 2 is that Eli is the father of two the two, the two main priests in Israel, Hophni and Phinehas. But these sons of his, as they run the worship rituals for the entire tribe, they are abusing power. The core, dependable institutions and leaders in Israel were deeply flawed as Eli's two sons abuse the temple girls, viewing them as their sex toys rather than as sacred daughters of God and servants of Yahweh. In addition uh, to their misuse of power for lust, there's their misuse of power for greed as they take the best of the meat brought for sacrifices for themselves, violating the rules that were supposed to be followed so they could gain from their positions of power. And so the curtain of Samuel, of 1 Samuel opens to dark times where, as the tech, text cleverly writes, I don't know if you caught this, it's a little bit subtle, but when you, when you kind of look at it again, the beginning of our passage, you see the emphasis on some of these themes. There were not many visions. Eli could barely see. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. 
And so I want to just very briefly mention a few themes of four universals, and then we'll close with the last one. First of all, in this story, we see that our meta problem, our real problem, is not political, is not bad leaders, but our real problem is our relationship with God. As Hophni and Phineas were carrying out their sin and their abuse right in the center of the reconciling relationship building rituals between God and his people. That's what the massive problem was with their violation. They weren't just, oh, Hophni and Phineas were sinful. No, but they were carrying it out in a way that affected the entire group of God's people and ruined their relationship reconciling practices in worship. Our real problem is our relationship with God. Secondly, life is miserable under bad leadership. This is just a universal of all times and all places. Bad leadership leaves you carrying the hurt and the wounds and the burdens of the leader's lust and greed. The struggle is real. Third, the lamp of God never goes out. We notice some clever places in chapters 2 and 3 of 1 Samuel where we see that God's vision never goes out. His light never goes dim. You can find that in chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 3, verse 18. And finally, most importantly, God's people must hope for more than a human leader. God's people must hope for more than a human leader. There's a little trick that the writer of Samuel will play with us using the early stories about Samuel and Saul to build some suspense. It goes like this. The reader, the reader will ask the question, is Samuel the leader we've always needed? clear that Hophni and Phinehas aren't cutting it. And here comes this one, Samuel. Certainly he's the one. And then later, is Saul? Oh, Saul. He look, he's good looking and tall. Saul, he'll be the leader we've always needed. And then there will be these, all these brothers, these good looking and tall brothers, the sons of Jesse, and we'll go each through each one. Is that the one? Surely the oldest. No, the next. Surely the next. Surely the And then finally the youngest little runt, David. That's kind of how this book goes. The reader, the writer and reader both knew that the real star of the book was going to be King David. Peace and fairness and prosperity and safety come with this King David. And yet the mistake that the ancient reader might have been tempted to make, one that you and I can't make now where we sit in history, is to imagine that all the hopes end in this fallible, flawed King David. He was the best we could hope for. If only he would have been better. If only he wouldn't have commandeered the wife of one of his military men and offed the husband. Ah! If only he wasn't sinful like the rest of us. What hope do we now have? Is it even possible that God could raise up another like David? 
How could one be found better than King David? That's the human sensibilities and where they go. But the lamp of God never goes out. The light of the world wasn't dim in Samuel's day, nor in ours. When Jesus came, referred to as the son of David, he said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our only real hope, then, now, and for generations to come, is not any political leader, or party, or building, or legislative body. It is in Jesus, and Jesus only, the fulfillment of all that David couldn't be, all that Hophni and Phinehas couldn't be, all that Samuel and Saul couldn't be, all that Barack Obama and President-elect Biden and Donald J. Trump can't be. Would you find it controversial, I know many would find it controversial, if I said the lamp will someday burn out on the experiment of America? The lamp will someday burn out on our democracy and on our institutions. On our country founded on freedom. Well, for some, horrific slavery, if you're of African descent. Our nation is more of a mess than we care to admit. And if the light of our country fades it will in no way affect my faith in the light of the world. We have always needed help from the outside. Our most important relationship has always been between humankind and God. Ponder this week, where is your hope? You know, right before the text that we read, um, God has already revealed uh, t directly to Eli some of what is going to go down in the judgment that was on its way for bad leadership. Chapter 2, verses 34 to 36 says, God says, And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. And then he says this, curious couple of sentences here. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest... It's interesting because Hophni and Phinehas were priests. Saul, Samuel really wasn't a priest. Saul wasn't a priest. David really wasn't a priest. He was a king. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Hints of Samuel, but not nearly. 
Sounds a little bit like David, but not quite. Sounds mostly like what we would find eventually in Jesus. So friends, today, as you look upon this week in our nation, for your life, for your children, for your community, for your calling, your job, and your family, wait for no other king. Wait for no other priest. Wait for no other prophet. There is only one whose light has not been snuffed out. Only one whose light is bright enough to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And so throw away all caution and liquidate all assets, all your assets of hope and invest them today in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly God, may our hearts tremble at what is possible when our hopes are put in you. And may your Holy Spirit enable and empower us to grab hold of that hope and live as if you are all we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.